Man, I don't know that I have ever, or if, if so, a long time ago, I don't know that I have stood in a worship time and felt the Lord just pouring so much revelation. I mean, I'm on my phone writing on notes as fast as I can, and right after church, I plan to go sit down and take a look to kind of sort through these things, incredible ideas and, and words. And, and you know, God really does work to stir his plans by awakening something within his people. And uh, I want to challenge you this morning as we step into this. Let's allow him to awaken what he desires to awaken. I love the, the illustration of, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you've done it, where you pull up to the stop sign and the music's going and you're rocking, right? And then someone looks at you and you realize they think you're crazy, but the fact is they're not hearing what you're hearing, and if they were hearing what you're hearing, they might be doing what you're doing, and we are men and women of the Spirit. We need to be hearing what the Holy Spirit is speaking that really drives us to a place of celebration and praise and declaration that He is alive, and we are awake to the purposes of God. So Lord, I pray that you would do that today. You would awaken something within every single one of us in the room. Help us, Lord, to see the plans and the purposes and the vision that you want us to see to hear, Lord, what you want us to hear. I pray, God, that you would use my voice today to navigate through and help bring the sound of your voice into all of our hearts and lives that would awaken something within us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, I'm, I'm in this interesting season in my devotions right now. You know, we are all about taking the turn the page challenge. And uh, I hope that you have taken that challenge. I hope that you will step forward in that. It's pretty simple. Just get that old-fashioned Bible, start in the book of Genesis, and every day just turn a page, just a page, and write the date at the top, commemorate special events. How many of you have done and taken, maybe you've not completed, but you've taken the turn the page challenge? Just raise your hand and let me just see. All right, good number of folks. Um, I'm coming to the realization like we are in the 63rd book of the Bible now as we started on this journey to, to find where Jesus is revealed in each and every book. And I'm, I just, I, it, it hit me the other day, like in three weeks we will discover Jesus in Revelation and we will be finished with this focus. And at that time, I want us to celebrate and really believe God for, I mean, I just think that there's something that happens when we complete a process. And uh, it's a season we're coming into. And in my personal devotions right now, in my turn the page, I am now where Joshua, Moses has died, Joshua is now leading the charge, and there's a new place of advancing into the promise for God's people. And I believe that uh, in, in many instances in our personal lives, when we're having our personal time with God, God is actually speaking to us of the nature and the season of what's going on in our lives by the scripture that we're studying and reading. It's been incredible. When, when our building fell and we went through um, you know, the building process, I've been doing the turn the page for many years, and I was doing it then, and interestingly, right after the building fell, and then all of a sudden I'm called on to do something I never thought I would do, and that is lead the charge in building a building. Guess where my progression of reading took me? The book of Nehemiah, where they were rebuilding the walls. So I believe God's always trying to orchestrate this and awaken something with us 
And I, I just want to declare, will you just receive this? We're going to give God's word home field advantage in this place. That's just what we do. But you, will you receive this by a declaration of amen, hallelujah, whatever you'd like? But God is taking us into this season of greater advancement into his promise in Jesus' mighty name. We agree for that. Come on, we call that in, in the name of the Lord. There's something about you know, getting into the perspective of God that begins to awaken the eternal purposes of God within us. That's why our devotion life is so important. We really important we gather together and we worship together and we make the sound that, that comes from the gifts that are within us. But it's also very important that individually we find our places of prayer. And that's why we're so big on this. And so as we finish the 66th book, we want to celebrate those that have started in this natural progression of your devotion. So if you've not started, please get started, and we'll celebrate that as well on that day of uh, Jesus revealed in Revelation. And we'll just believe God for a brand new release of everything he wants to bring into our hearts and into our world. Amen. I'm pumped about it. So today, Jesus revealed in 2 John. If you'll take your books, pass those down. Jesus revealed in 2 John. So this has been an interesting, last week I took quite a bit of time to lay foundation of who John was in Jesus' life. Obviously, John and Jesus were very close. Arguably, they were BFFs. This was Jesus' best friend. He commissioned him even to care for his mom in that moment when he was about to die on the cross. And so last week we saw that Jesus was revealed in 1 John as our communion with God. Jesus is our communion with God. And that book focused totally on an authentic connection with God and an authentic connection with others. And then we see his second writing, 2 John, where that begins to focus not only on those connections but on guarding those connections by protecting the truth on the basis of love. I have very carefully articulated the way to say a few of these things because I want us to really get the picture. We have God-given connections. How many of you know you have God-given connections? Sometimes it's just one connection that God uses to take you to the next dimension. That's why you need to pay attention to the relationships God's aligning with uh, in your life. I'm just calling forth an agreement right now. I don't want to stand up here and talk to you. I want us to declare and sense when you, when you witness something, you sense something, this, this, that's for me. I felt that even as I said that, there's something there that we need to recognize. God's bringing alignments into our lives, alignments into our kids' lives. Some of us right now, by a declaration of agreement, begin to release something over the next generation that we can't even comprehend how God is working. He begins to set all this up setting things into maneuvering order by the hand of God. Many times it is just one connection that takes us into the next dimension. Many times it's one person that introduces a friend to a friend in the, in the realm of singleness that begins to take them into the dimension of marriage. And so recognize God is setting us up for these, orchestrating these connections. And so 1 John was all about authentic connection with God, authentic connection with others. 2 John focuses on guarding those connections by protecting the truth on the basis of love. So that's where we're going to go today, looking at the, how to protect the truth and the basis of love being the driving force to protect the truth, to guard the truth. The truth is pretty important. Have you ever been lied to? Nobody likes being lied to. The, the field is not even. The game is not fair when somebody's not telling you the truth. Have you figured out not everybody's going to tell you the truth? 
So protecting love and the, uh, protecting truth on the basis of love. Have you figured out not everybody's going to tell you the truth and not everybody loves you, right? Not everybody loves you and not everybody's going to tell you the truth. And so you've got to kind of understand the level and connection and relationship and, and you've got to be able to define those in your life. Let me just give you an easy way to kind of make the determination of three categories of people in your life. There are foes, there are friends, and there are fans. And you need to understand those three categories of people. Fans will uh, constantly give you accolades. They won't tell you the truth because their, their goal is to celebrate you. They, they can't even see the truth. They're blinded because you're so awesome and they've become your fan. So fans make you feel better than you are. Foes, they make you feel worse than you are. And friends, they help you see who you truly are. And so you've got to understand, it's easy to migrate toward the fans, but we need somebody who will tell us the truth. True friends stab you in the front. They will tell you like it is, and you will later appreciate it, even though it hurts when they're telling you the truth. So there are, it's interesting, but the, the element of truth and love and the relationship of those two, vital, important. Largely, the church uh, needs this message in a, in a very real and deep and meaningful way because we, we, you know, we, we tend to either be truth people or we tend to either be love people, one or the other. And, and the fact is, when we, when we begin to share the truth without love, that's when our opinion simply becomes a weapon that we club people with. And we're never going to gain entrance into their life and never draw them into a perspective of being able to embrace the loving nature of truth or the truthful nature of love. And John's trying to help us see that in the book of Second John in, in the way that he's revealing it. So again, there are truth people and there are love people. And then there are people like Jesus who are both. Are you both? Lord, help us to be both. Help us to not lose our minds, abandoning the truth because of the compassion that emerges in our heart. And help us, Lord, not to be a bunch of religious swords that has no flesh behind it, no heart behind it, Give us wisdom to understand this revelation today, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So John clearly, in 2 John, we'll start in chapter 1, verse 5, he clearly puts love first. That's a really important truth. God is love, okay? God is love. He brings truth, and he re reveals revelation of who he is, but he, it, all truth begins in the origin of who God is in his person love. And John puts love first before expression. How many know you got to convince somebody that you are for them before you address the issue in their life? We all know people don't know how much you care unless they care how much you know, or you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, I, I didn't say it right. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so common I can't even get it. And so recognize that. I mean, it's this element. Love has to be the, the predecessor to gain entrance into the relationship. And then, and then you can really be honest, but you've got to have entrance first. And, and clearly we see that. Second John 1, 5 to 7. I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we, say it with me, love one another. Just reach over and love on somebody. Give them a tap. Do a little bit of love. Love one another. Very important that we love one another. We don't show up 
just to come hear about what God says is true. We show up to have relationship and make connection and, and understand friendship. You and I were born for community. We're, we're created in the image of community God. Community God is Trinity God. There's this mutual relationship of love and respect and affection that exists within the entity of who God is Himself. You and I are created in that image. It is not good for man to be alone. We can go on and on and on. You and I are created for community by God's plan. We need to embrace that and understand that. John is saying, first I was going to say, love one another. Make sure you're loving one another. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Now we're introducing truth. Love one another and be introduced to the commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. This is a pretty important sandwich. Love, truth, love. Verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And so what John is doing is addressing the fact that you've got individuals that have stepped into a place of heresy and they're no longer believing the truth and some people are being led astray. Love one another and address this issue. This is an important issue to be addressed. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is man. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Jesus was dead, but Jesus is alive. May we never lose sight of that reality, central kingpin, everything that we are. Come on, help me celebrate that a little more. We're declaring Jesus is Lord. We're not just generally about God. We know that Jesus is God. Jesus is God's Son. And that began to be attacked and challenged in the church in this particular time. And, and as I mentioned last week, this is a, a latter time after the inaugural address was given by Peter at the birth of the church. And now we're two, three generations into to believers and some of them losing their way. And then you've got people teaching things that were wrong. And John's trying to address this. And, and this, is, this whole element of love is the revelation God gave us for 2017. We believe in New Year's revelation. Each year, what's God want to do in your life? So begin praying now about 2018. I'm sensing so much about 2018, strategies about 2018. We're going we're gonna to have a, a time and a focus in 2018 coming into the year of fasting and praying that will conclude in the conclusion of that fasting and praying time with a worship night where we're going to blow the roof off this place and we're going to declare the devil is defeated in this community and in communities around the world and in our homes and in our families. Something's going to be awakened on another level. But we want to bring to pass what God has assigned to us in 2017 before we jump the gun beyond that. And 2017 is a year where love is our source. And God's coming back to that over and over for us. Love is our source. I am not going to allow angry people to make me angry because love is my source. Angry people are not. I'm not going to allow bitter people to make me bitter because love is my source. Bitter people are not. Love is my soul. I'm not going to give you the power to define my soul when you're coming at me from a disposition other than the, the angle Jesus wants me to become. All of us need to make that determination. I'm not going to love my wife to the degree that I feel like she loves me in reciprocal agreement, giving her as much love as she gives me. I'm going to love her all the way because love is my soul. I'm going to love my kids, my family, my church, people around. I'm going to love with everything I am. Because that's how God loves me. And that's what John reveals. He did not love us back. He loved us first. He did not love us back. He loved us first. And our response determines God's reach. Do you understand that? I've said that over and over. Our response determines God's reach. 
He didn't love us back. He loved us first. And our willingness to respond to his love is what brought us into a place of great salvation and awakening of the purposes of God. And then we're to go out and we're to set the tone and we're to bring that out about in the lives of other people. I'm not going to love you if you're nice to me. I'm going to love you because he's been nice to me. Even if you're not nice to me and you're giving me unkindness, I'm going to give you what he gave me instead. How many know this preaches really well and then somebody comes your way after church? Hmm. Maybe not you, but me. I am fully capable of wild reactions. Anybody else? There's some liars in this room. I was waiting to hear a good, rousing response. I know. I've seen Ryan Perry. I've seen, I mean, I don't mean to mention names. I've seen some people. Love must always be coupled with truth. Love must always be coupled with truth. We start with love. Love must always be coupled with truth. Or we will find ourselves being wholeheartedly devoted to the wrong things. I need you to help me. You know, I've, I've watched as Simon just tears people apart when they come on to, uh, you know, show their skill set, their singing ability for what is the name of it? America's Got Talent. Uh, and so I've watched as he's torn people apart. I've watched as this one girl, she sang, and I mean, it was pretty wild, and, and his response was, I think you just killed every cat within five blocks of here. I mean, he was all, he's always so rude. It improves the ratings for him to make, you know, mean statements like that. But the question really is, where were her friends before she ever got that far that told her, don't do this to yourself. That is not your skill set. I mean, people just loved her and wanted to encourage her, and they didn't tell her the truth, and she went off chasing something she should never have been chasing. I need somebody to tell me the truth. So if you don't devote love and truth together, you wind up, your heart will move you to chase something that you shouldn't chase. And I, I kind of looked this up this last week with a chapel service I was doing with our our, our high school students, and, and I, t I talked a little bit in this regard there, but it's easy to devote yourself to accomplish and, and, and conquer and not necessarily do what really is fulfilling or assign the assignment that God's given you. Opportunities are distractions if they're not assignments. So maybe some of you have heard of the famous novelist Jack Higgins. Here's a guy that writes for a living. How many of you would be okay with writing for a living, making a quarter million dollars a year? Would that be okay with you? You just write. That's all you do. That's your job. You write, and you make a quarter million dollars a year. Jack Higgins didn't make a quarter million dollars last year. He made a quarter million dollars a day last year. He made almost $100 million last year because he is such a world-famous novelist. And the reason I tell you that is because I think it's important for you to hear. He was in an interview, and they asked, What is it you now know that you wish you'd known as a younger man? And with no hesitation whatsoever, he said, I wish I had known that when you get to the top, there's not really anything there. Isn't that interesting? Like, you would think, if I am able to write and make a quarter million dollars a day, life would be grand and everything would be, you know, excellent, wonderful, everything I ever wanted, I've accomplished, I've achieved. But it seems like some of these people that achieve and accomplish so much still find themselves so empty because they've never aligned with the eternal purpose for which they exist. It was interesting, Boris Becker, after winning his second Wimbledon victory, he was asked, what's your greatest challenge in life? And he said, my greatest challenge is to keep from committing suicide. 
He's at the top of his game. Everybody in the world wants to be him that's in that realm of tennis. And, and all he can think about is, if I can only not take my own life. I mean, why is that? I, I thought it was interesting. Deion Sanders, I mean, Deion Sanders, he's the man, you know, Christian guy. And, and somebody in an interview asked him, why did you become a Christian? And this is what he said. The night we won the Super Bowl, I ordered a Lamborghini and went to bed. Said very few people ever. <laughs> I ordered my Lamborghini and went to bed. Lying in bed, I realized I have achieved everything I ever wanted to achieve in life. And I realized just how empty I truly was. That was the night I got on my knees and I gave my life to Jesus, knowing only God was big enough to fill this heart of mine. Come on. This is why love must be coupled with truth, or you'll find yourself wholeheartedly devoted to chasing the wrong things in life. It's why we need to understand there's a more comprehensive approach to whatever it is in this world that we so easily can chase after. Your heart can easily expend every resource of your life chasing after that which will leave you completely empty if you are not careful. Do you believe this? That's why the Bible, if you write it in, that's why the Bible never says follow your heart. The world constantly says, follow your heart, follow your heart. Do not follow your heart. Guard your heart. Your, God, your heart will hijack your life and take you down a road you will regret you ever went. I've watched people follow their heart and lose their mind and, and sacrifice everything about their life and come to the place of waking up thinking, but this was my heart, this was my drive, this was my dream. Jack Higgins said it. Deion Sanders said it. Other people have said it. Don't just follow your heart. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Don't let everything that tries to get in your heart get in your heart. Just because a thought runs through your mind doesn't mean you need to give it a place to rest. Some of those thoughts you just say, keep on running. Just because you think it didn't make it true. Our emotions. I mean, this is tricky. We're deeply emotional people. Our emotions by design are followers. We need to understand that. God designed us to have emotions that are followers. We endanger our souls when we allow our emotions to lead. We will train wreck relationships when we let emotions take control. We will destroy our future when we let emotions dictate what we're going to do, why we're going to do, where we're going to do, and who we're going to do it with. Don't follow your heart, guard your heart. In verse 6 and 7, he spoke of how love walks in obedience to God's truth that brings about protection. John was addressing this false teaching that was causing confusion and producing chaos in the church, and it's a very important thing that we understand as a church. We're not here just to gather, and I say it often, and I'm going to say it even more often in days ahead, because even more so the church migrates and moves toward an entertainment central culture that produces a bunch of consumers, and we need to be a discipleship culture that produces a bunch of producers and reproducers, people that come in, and they don't just come in and listen to the song, they come in and bring a declaration of their own song. It doesn't matter what you sing, I'm going to make a sound, it's going to be the sound of heaven. I don't care what you preach. If it's the word, I'm going to declare it. I receive it, and I release that in my own life, in the soil of my own life. 
It's important that we protect the truth, we guard the truth, we make sure the truth is prevailing in all of our lives, and particularly as a gathering of the church. This is so very important to me as the lead elder of this house and the plurality partnership where we're constantly looking and evaluating, are we doing what God wants us to be doing, and are we doing it the way He wants us to? Why is truth so important? Because every sin you ever commit is a lie you chose to believe. Any sin you ever commit is the embrace of a lie and deception. If you knew the truth, you would be set free. They shall know the truth, and the truth will set them free. If you knew the truth about your situation, you wouldn't migrate down the wrong direction. If you knew your truth about the situation, you would see it with greater clarity. Hindsight is twenty-twenty. After you walk through everything you put yourself through and everything you put your family through, everything you put your finance through, it's easy then to look back and say, oh, why did I do that? I should have done this. I should have done God wants to awaken you in advance. You're going to learn the principles of God by instruction, or you're going to learn the principles of God by correction. Let me just say, learning by instruction Instruction is a whole lot better than learning by correction. And if I can get the truth buried in the soil of my heart, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God, then I begin to function from a disposition and a perspective that aligns with what God desires for our lives, for my life, and I suddenly begin to flourish. The kingdom of God begins to be awakened. Everywhere I go, every person I touch, the love of God begins to prevail out of my life. And when I begin to cultivate those friendships, I will definitely stand face to face, nose to nose, toe to toe, and tell the truth from the basis of love. Truth problems are the true problems behind our issues. Truth problems are the true problems behind our issues. So in two weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus revealed in the book of Jude. And there's this really awesome verse that's in that book. It's just, again, one of those short books. Verse 21, and it's interesting because, you know, again, the truth, I'm trying to just frame this up in a concluding declaration with you. It's the truth that is vitally important in the sandwich of love so that we can embrace and swallow the truth. You know, when, when you know somebody's for you, you're willing to let them mess with you. You go to the doctor, if you are convinced he's trying to help you with your broken arm, you will let him hurt you to get you where you need to be. Not where you want to go, I want to just leave. And then you're going to grow with your arm all deformed for the rest of your life. You're going to have to put that arm out there and let him deal with what needs to be dealt with. But you trust that they're for you, therefore you let them deal you some pain. And, and God's constantly trying to bring us into a place of this revelation and understanding. And Jude it's talking about the boundaries of God staying in this place where God's causing our lives to be awakened to the good things of God. In the Living Bible translation, it says, stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Wait patiently for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ and His mercy is going to give you. Let's just look at that again. Stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. How many know God's love is trying to reach and bless you, but you've got to stay in the boundaries in order for that to take place? He gives us His Word. His Word is a great, uh, a great layout. It's kind of the user manual for us. 
there's a user manual that explains the boundaries. Like if you buy a, a blender, you know, it, it, you have to kind of read what you're supposed to put in the blender and what you're not supposed to put in the blender. And you can use things the wrong way that violate the user manual and tear stuff up. And you, being used and purposed in the wrong way without consulting the user manual, will tear you up on the inside, leave you obliterated in your soul. You need to take the time to get the user manual down. Take the time to turn the page. Spend some time in the Word of God, constantly going back over and over. The mem to memorize the Bible is to memorize the mind of God, and we need the user manual awakened and alive within us. This, I've shared this story often. It's just such a great analogy of this, but my, uh, we had some friends when I was the principal of the school here. Randy, six foot five, maybe, six four, and uh, you know, 280 pounds. He was one of our star football players, and his parents moved and, uh, and, and he wanted to finish school his senior year. Well, we were good friends with their family, and so we said, well, you know, Tracy and I didn't have kids, and we had a house with a room, and he could stay there. And so we said, you know, Randy can move in with us and finish school here. And it was really good uh, to have a, a great big bodyguard that I called a son for a season of time. And then another young man came from Mexico and exchanged it, and his name was Salvador. And Salvador and Randy got so close that we were like one big happy family. Salvador, unfortunately, didn't speak a whole lot of English. He spoke Spanish, and in my broken Spanish, I know most of the cuss words and a few other conversational words, and I try to use the conversational ones, but, you know, sometimes things happen. And so in our, in our family exchanges, it was always kind of fun, kind of interesting. And one day, we're sitting in the living room, and, and Salvador excuses himself back to the bathroom, and, uh, you know, we'd eaten a meal, I guess, and he was going back to brush his teeth, and all we hear from the back of the house is, Oh, brother, brother, bad, bad, very bad. That's all we heard. It didn't speak a lot of English, but that's just about, you know, so we ran back, what's going on, brother, bad, bad, very bad. And he's standing over the toilet with his toothbrush in this hand and his toothpaste in this hand, spitting into the toilet, bad, bad, very bad. And so I grabbed his toothpaste to see what is so bad about Crest or Colgate. Or, and, and it wasn't Crest and it wasn't Colgate. It was Randy's Jock Itch Cream. And he had brushed his teeth with Jock Itch Cream. And I just want to say to you, don't ever do that because apparently it's bad, bad, very bad. How many of you know it would have been really good if he could have read the instructions before he brushed his teeth with something he should have never put in his mouth? You just hold your Bible. How many of you would be good if you read your Bible before you went and tasted to see, is the world really any good? Is that situation really going to do something for me? Is this really going to give me what I'm after? The Bible has all these things that will help us, and we just need to understand Scripture is clear. In Exodus 23, verse 19, there's this curious verse. Do not cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. Who cares? But the Bible says not to do it, so I would suggest you not. And what we know now is in that particular day, in biblical times, it was common to have to go through the process of roasting the goat over the fire. It's a bit of an elaborate, laborious process to do all of that. It was much more convenient just to throw it in a pot with the mother's milk, boil it until the meat was done. But the problem was people that were doing this were continually dying. 
And the reason they would die, because when you drink milk, if you took a glass of milk and you just set it up here and we leave it for two days at, at, at 98.6 degrees, the temperature of your body, if we got it that hot in here and left that milk for two days, what would happen to it? Bad, bad, very bad. That's what would happen to it. And so the, the, the reality is that milk goes into your system and you will pass liquid through your system before it gets bad, bad, very bad. But if you take meat and you boil it in milk, the bacterial substance of the milk gets absorbed into the meat, and the meat does not pass through your system fast enough, and it will putrefy, and from the inside out poison you, your bloodstream will be poisoned, and you potentially will die. I just want you to know, they didn't understand all of that then, and some people say, well, God just not into convenience. God just approved. He just wants us to do it the hard way. He just wants us to do it the difficult way. No, God's trying to protect your life. God's trying to take care of you. Leviticus 12, on the eighth day, the boy shall be circumcised. Why the eighth day? Why not the fifth day? Why not the fourth day? And we didn't know then, but now we know scientifically. When a baby comes out of the womb and is attached to the mom, the baby doesn't have its own immune system. The baby's been relying on the mama's immune system. And when that detachment takes place, the baby's system is trying to discover its own way and begins to adopt and develop its own strength and immune system. And it takes seven days, science tells us, it takes seven days for that baby to have its own immune system functioning and working to fight against infection. That's why the Bible says wait until the eighth day. You say, well, God, just I want to do it right now. I don't want to wait. That's what people say sexually. I don't want to wait. That's what people say financially. I don't want to wait. That's what people say in a lot of areas of their life. But God's trying to protect you. He's trying to keep you from getting something in your mouth. You say, bad, bad, very bad. Teenagers who have abortions are 150% more likely to have breast cancer. It's not a political issue. It's more than just a moral issue. It's a protective issue. God is trying to protect us. He's trying to preserve life and protect life. God wants us to love, serve, and give as a way of life so that we are awakening, flourishing lives, that we are not just thinking about how I can get whatever it is I want in my life right now, and we move past that, and we begin to delay our own sense of pursuit of pleasure and the things we might want to happen, and I'm going to do it my way, and I have my own opinions, and I'll just carry my opinions. Just leave me alone. I'm going to live my life. You're going to die. You better wake up to the purposes of God. He does not want you to die. The wages of sin is death. We all need to wake up to what God desires in every one of our lives. It needs to shape who we are. Come on, help me. It needs to shape who we are. It needs to release something of the eternal value of Jesus in every one of our lives. Loving, serving, giving. It's not what we try to recruit you to do so we can have a strong organization. It's the very essence of the purpose of why you were born. There's nothing more painful than two selfish people trying to find their way in a relationship, making the other person make them happy. You're not loving them, you're using them. There's nothing more painful than two selfish people in a relationship. There's nothing more beautiful than two servants in love. John met Jesus. John received Jesus' love. John spent the rest of his life loving, serving, giving, in total devotion to God's truth. 
John's relationship with Jesus completely, eternally transformed him. This is the true Christian life. Are you living a fruitful life? Are you living a fruitful life? Have you resolved the supremacy of God will drive your disposition and control your perspective? Or are you purposing you're going to be God? You will have your own perspective. You will decide. Are you willing to surrender your right to your opinion at the foot of the cross where Jesus surrendered his right to his opinion and he said, oh God, I don't want to have to go through this, but not my will, not my opinion, not my perspective, not my disposition, your will, your will be done. Let's stand. I call on you to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. I call on you, Christians, believers, brothers, sisters, that we would know Jesus and we would make him known. This is why we gather. It's why we put up with the mess of trying to gather groups of people together called the church because Jesus loves the church and in the midst of the mess, he produces an incredible message that lets other messy people come and find their way among us. How many of you don't have it together? None of us have it all together. And we want other people who don't have it all together to come in that we might begin to walk together to discover that we're all just on a journey trying to find our way. May God help us in that pursuit. I want to challenge you to love. I want to challenge you to serve, and I want to challenge you to give. When you begin to do things God's way, he begins to, or, you, know, you understand, he's God. He's orchestrating something behind the curtain. You don't even know what he's orchestrating. I, I just want you to know the giving stations in these moments where we just press in and worship, there's something that happens when we honor God with worship in our giving according to his word the principle of the tithe every time we increase we worship and when we do that and we honor god in his word something being orchestrated the bible calls it the windows of heaven are poured open uh, out on our lives but god begins to awaken us to be able to do things like be uh, uh, an organization that opens its doors to be the warehouse for the city of more and send millions and millions of dollars of need and help in this community that's who we are that's what we do that's who he is that's what he does we want to surrender ourselves more to him